Um, just real quick side note, um, most of you that regularly attend know that I move a lot. Um, today I'm doing that because as one of the, the words of one of the songs, you know, sort of the weakness of the body or the frailty of the body. I uh, had a reminder yesterday of the frailness of my body, and so I can't really stand still uh, and be comfortable. So I, it's not that I have to go to the restroom. Uh, it's just I need to keep moving. So uh, if I seem to be moving extra, please just kind of overlook that. Uh, if you have a Bible, if you could turn to Galatians chapter 5 with me, we're going to be looking at the second half, and if you want to turn to page 975 in the Pew Bible, you will be uh, exactly where we need to be. I want to tell you a little story, well, sort of a story, sort of some thought processes that I went through this week, but it, it started really, it did start this last week, but it goes back 29 years ago. 29 years ago, Tom Clancy wrote a novel that then five years later became a movie that starred Hudson, or Harrison Ford. Sorry, Hudson is our grandson. I got the H names, but Harrison, our, our grandson maybe could be a movie star too. He's sort of the star of the only movies I can shoot. But... Um, you know, this movie came out, and the book and the movie were both called Clear and Present Danger. And, and really, the book and the movie were basically about a corrupt U.S. businessman, some Colombian drug lords, and retaliation by the United States government. And the reason why there, there was this retaliation was because the corrupt U.S. businessman was a personal close friend of the president. And I, I, didn't, I don't read Tom Clancy books, but I have seen some of those movies like Hunt for Red October and Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games. And, and so I've watched the movie. I thought, well, that was a nice movie. And, and in my mind, that was all there was. That was how Clear and Present Danger was. That was all there was to it. Well, I noticed in the last few years, there's a podcast that I listen to usually during the week early in the mornings, and I noticed a few different times during the podcast that the guy doing the podcast would use the phrase clear and present danger, but he never made any mention of Harrison Ford, he never made any mention of Tom Clancy, and so I'm like, clear and present danger, like, what's he talking about? Why is he using the title of this movie and this book in this context? So I realized there obviously had to be a gap in my understanding, and so I did what pretty much everyone does today when you don't have something figured out, you find your smartphone or your tablet or your computer and you Google clear and present danger. Now, the movie and the book did show up, but I learned some other things about clear and present danger that kind of set the context of where the phrase came from. It seems that 99 years ago, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes used that phrase. He sort of created that phrase, and really what clear and present danger was, was basically a doctrine that he was introducing to the Supreme Court to help the Supreme Court know when they could limit or restrict First Amendment freedoms of speech, press, and public assembly. Now, hit the pause button. We're going to do a really quick aside. This week coming up is the 144th birthday of the church. In 1918, so a hundred years ago, when the United States was in World War I, there was a restriction put on, a First Amendment restriction put on public assemblies that took place in the United States. And that restriction was, if you were going to assemble people in the United States, you had to do it in the English language. 
Now, from January 17, 1874 up until 1918, every service in Central's history was in Swedish. 1918 was a very rough year in the church here because not only does this pastor barely speak English, but that pastor really barely spoke English. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Well, I needed filler material today. Well, not exactly. The reason I'm telling you all of this and kind of pulling away from the aside was, you know what? When you restrict a freedom, when a danger shows up, the danger of a world war or the danger of some other thing, when there's a clear and present danger, freedoms get restricted. All of a sudden, instead of it being easy to live free, there's a hindrance, there's a a barrier. You might even be denied the opportunity to live free. We need to understand something. You back up to the gospel. We looked at this last week. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 will say this. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says basically the exact same thing. And that is that God wants us to be free. God wants all of us. He wants people to live free. Now part of what that means is that God wants us to be able to be, to live as the people we were created to be and to be able to do the things that we were created to do. And for all of that to happen, that's why the Lord Jesus came. That's why He died on the cross. That's why He rose again. And if you and I would trust Him, we'd turn from our sin to God and trust Him as our Savior, we'd be free. That is God's desire for our lives. He wants that for us in off the charts. That's what He wants for us. But here's the dilemma. There is a clear and present danger. The truth is there is a clear and present danger in our lives today that makes it incredibly difficult, limits us, restricts us, maybe in some cases even tries to deny us to live in the freedom that we have in Christ alone. Do you believe me that there is a clear and present danger? Look at the person next to you. They're not the clear and present danger. But there is a clear and present danger. So I want you to look with me and say, well, what is the clear and present danger? You're telling us there's one. What is it? Well, look with me at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, to break those verses apart a little bit, kind of make sure we understand things, we're going to kind of look at them in two different ways. But to start, just to rip them apart, first thing I want you to notice is there's this Spirit mentioned. And really what we're talking about here is this is the Holy Spirit, the gift from God to people who've trusted Christ. So if you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes a part of your life. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, and He's really there to accomplish the purpose of God. The Holy Spirit is in our lives to help us live in freedom, to, I'd even say, make it possible for us to live freely. He's there. But there's also another part there. It's not just the Spirit, because the Spirit's there and wants to influence, wants to move us in a direction, wants to move us towards freedom. But the verses also say there's another influencer, the flesh. 
Now, the word flesh can be used a lot of different ways in the New Testament. There's probably four or five different ways the word flesh can be used throughout the New Testament. But here in Galatians 5, Paul's using it not as in all those ways, but very specifically in one way. So when you see the word flesh there, I don't want you to think about the muscle and the skin that hangs on our bones. That's not what he's talking about. It can be used that way, but that's not what he's talking about. When he's using the word flesh there, what he's talking about are those sinful desires and passions and affections and motives and purposes within us that are contrary to God. Now, some of what I'm going to say isn't necessarily the most flattering to any of us, but it's a truth we need to face. Because Adam and Eve are our parents... That's who our lineage ultimately goes back to. And because of their sin, one of the things the Bible would tell us is that you and I are sinners by nature. There's something inside us, something we desire. We have this incredible desire to do things that are contrary to God. Now, we are sinners by choice. We make the choice to do sin, yes. But boy, we have this great attraction to it. You could kind of almost say that we sin feels so incredibly natural one of the things that was tough as a parent and it's a little more humorous in a sort of way as a grandparent is to watch my kids disobey and it's like who taught them how to do that i was convinced it was their mother (laughs) you know i their mother And then we bought our oldest son one of those little lawnmowers, you know, that makes sound and and you can put bubbles in it and it would skew up bubbles. And he bent down and kind of went, and my mother-in-law said, so where did he get that from? Your daughter, you know, I'm the one that was cutting the grass, could have been me, but, but we have this. And I want you to notice something about verse 17 about the flesh and the spirit. They are against each other. They oppose each other. So if we affirm and understand that that God puts the Holy Spirit in our lives to move us toward freedom and the flesh does the opposite, then what does that make the flesh? If God's desire is for us to be in freedom, then all of a sudden the flesh becomes literally the, the clear and present danger. So you and I have inside us, simply because we are part of humanity, a clear and present danger that is there that makes it difficult for us to live in freedom. There's a clear and present danger in us. Now, there's a lot of things that come together in verse 16 and 17 And there's some things I think that we need to kind of understand. We need to understand this danger. It's a part of our lives, but we need to understand it. So what I want to do is I want to ask you to read these verses with me again. I want to kind of refresh them in our minds and then make some observations connected to them, okay? So verse 16 and 17 again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from, notice this, doing the things you want to do. Okay. 
Now, to unpack this, we just read those. I want you to keep those in your mind, but I want to make an observation that's in the background of those verses that we want to make sure we bring to the foreground really, really clearly so we realize, hey, what's going on here? So hold your finger in my Bible. I need to turn the page. You may not need to. Just real quickly, look with me at the first words of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, okay? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, two things in verse 1 I want you to notice that are going to get us back to verse 16 and 17. First thing to notice there is it says Christ has set us free. What that's telling us is if you've come to that point in life where you've trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, okay, you've turned from sin to God and you trust Jesus as your Savior, it's saying we are set free. Now, what it means exactly in that moment is that you and I in that moment, in that instant, we're set free from the penalty of sin. Okay, and I'm going to throw out some fancy theological word. The Bible would call that I'm justified. I'm justified before God. Justification means I'm saved immediately. I'm set free from the penalty of sin. That's a part of what I want you to see in verse 1. That's true. But notice it says for freedom in front. In essence, the second thing I want you to notice in that verse is it's kind of telling us and calling us, hey, I'm not just setting you free so be free from the penalty of sin. There's kind of this growing freedom that this leads to. What I mean by that is if you've trusted Christ, you trust Him, you're automatically sent free from the penalty of sin. But then God sort of very much starts this process and says, hey, I want to grow that freedom in you. So not only do I want you to be saved from the penalty of sin, I also want you to be saved from the power of sin. Okay, in that fancy Bible word there, you could say sanctification, you could say holiness. Okay, God wants to move in our lives so that we're free, not just from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And then ultimately where this goes to is then ultimately we are saved from the presence of sin. Okay, and the Bible would call that glorification. Now we are literally, finally, completely for eternity in the presence of God. Okay? It's huge for us to realize when God says He sets us free, He sets us free from the penalty of sin. He's setting us free from the power of sin. Ultimately, He's going to set us free from the presence of sin. Okay? Now go back to verse 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17 aren't really talking about being set free from the penalty of sin. It's being talked about now this process of being set free from the power of sin. Okay, the power of sin. So an observation kind of connected to that in that context is verses 16 and 17 tell us if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, okay, you've trusted him as your savior, you're kind of in a tug of war right now. There's a sense in which you're in a tug of war between the spirit wants to go towards freedom and your flesh wants to go in the opposite direction. We need to understand that. Some of life right now is going to feel pressure and tension. I'm not saying that's good in a sense. I don't necessarily enjoy it, but that's a part of life. We need to understand that. That's a part of what we're going to experience right now. Please understand this. Sin still has power right now. It wants to work on our flesh to move us away from freedom. But we need to remember what is God's desire. God's desire is for freedom, for us to know freedom. We're in this tension. We're in a tug of war. It's going to be a part of life. Another observation I want you to see and, and see from these verses 
is that even though you and I have a clear and present danger with us, a clear and present danger that wants to hinder and limit and even deny our freedom, verse 16 says there's a way out of this. The clear and present danger doesn't have to overwhelm us. It doesn't have to devastate us. In fact, we can know in that sense you could say victory. But if I walk by the Spirit, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. You and I, in the midst of a clear and present danger, really can live beyond it. Really can live beyond it. Please, out of all the words I say today, hear this clearly. God wants you to live in freedom right now. So much so that He gives the Holy Spirit to people who trust Him to move you toward freedom. Please also hear this. There is nobody in this room, nobody in this room who can find freedom by themselves. There's only one way to find freedom and that's through the Spirit of God. He is the only one that can get us there. It's not about, oh, my effort and me doing more. No, it's us walking by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we're going to get there. That's part of Paul's point, I think, in verse 18 when he says this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Okay, the false teachers were kind of saying, hey, if we can get you to commit to following the law, if we can get you to do this, then you're going to know freedom. No, you're not. The law is a declaration of the character of God, and that's huge. And in one sense, the law does point us toward freedom. But just because you're pointed in the right direction does not mean you have the ability to get there. The Spirit of God moves in us and gets us there. You don't need the law. You need the Spirit of God. That's a huge thing for us to understand. If you and I are going to live in gospel freedom, if that's going to mark our lives, the Holy Spirit is the one who needs to empower us. What you and I need more than anything else is the Spirit of God in our lives, moving us, taking us, so we can know the freedom God has. Now, we've kind of made a big deal about the Holy Spirit, haven't we? You're saying, there's no way you can do this. You can't do it. I can't do it. It's only the Holy Spirit who can do it. You say, really? I mean, really? I mean, do we really have to have the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit so important to this process of me becoming what God wants me to be, for me to really enjoy the freedom that God desires? Why is the Holy Spirit so important? Well, maybe one way to address that question, one way to get at that question, to an answer to that question is ask, okay, what if you totally remove the Holy Spirit and you just tried to do life by yourself? With your clear and present danger, what would it look like? Well, that's kind of where verses 19 to 21 go. So read those with me, please. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, and notice this, as I warned you before, this isn't a new thing. Paul told them this, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So what does a life devoid of the Holy Spirit look like? And Paul says, well, quite honestly, it's not a very pretty picture. What does it look like? Well, Paul says, here's kind of what it looks like. The first three words there that end end verse 19 are all words that describe sexual sin. Okay? So what Paul wants us to understand is a life void of the Holy Spirit, a life where you're listening to or following the flesh instead of the Spirit of God, means you're going to take, the flesh wants to take this incredible gift that God gives a husband and a wife, okay? A gift in which a husband and wife can celebrate their union, a a gift in which they can potentially have children, a gift in which they can express love to one another, a gift in which they can, quite frankly, just enjoy one another, all of that to the glory of God. Sex takes that, twists it, or sex doesn't take it, flesh takes that gift, wants to twist it and distort it and abuse it and deprive it of everything it could be. I haven't really said much about all the things in the news about sexual sin lately, but I guess today I can. Not that I really want to. But what is that sexual sin? What does that accomplish in our society? What is that really doing to help us? What quality of life is that really bringing and contributing If people are being abused and taken advantage of, if people are manipulating and damaging others, where does the flesh want to take us? That's where the flesh wants to take us. The next two terms that start verse 20, idolatry and sorcery, really, that's touching on the fact that you and I were created to worship. Okay, we were created by God. We need to worship. And the truth is, we do worship. The issue is, are you worshiping the right thing? Are you worshiping God? So idolatry, basically, the flesh wants us to take things that are good and make them ultimate over God. Sorcery is basically us being drawn towards, the flesh wants to make us think that evil is good, makes us want to think that demons and demonic stuff is good, and to just throw our lives into that. A chunk of years ago, a young man came into the office and he wanted to ask us, I think he started with Mike and then he ended up in my office, he'd been playing with evil, full on, outright, and he just thought this was so cool. And he just was absorbed in it. And as much as we told him that's not what the Bible says, that is evil, that's dangerous. It's almost like the more we suggested to him this wasn't good, he just pursued it and pursued it and pursued it. The next eight things that kind of finish verse 20 and start the beginning of verse 21 are basically describing things that rip apart relationships. You know, jealousy, strife, enmity, fits of anger, rivalries, all of that stuff rips apart things. I typically don't talk about politics partly because I don't really know much about politics. Quick observation, why is our country so divided? Well, I would suggest those things might be a reason. I mean, maybe, let's just, let's put a big if in front of it. Why? I don't know, but it sure seems like we have a lot of angry people in this country. 
Jealousy, yeah, envy, divisions, dissensions, yeah. Now, let me be very, very clear. Those things aren't just an issue in our great country in a political sense. Those same things, why is it that schools are in tension? Why is it that workplaces can be like that? Why is it that families are like that? Why is it that we as a church in 144 years have contributed to other churches starting in this community? i.e. we've gone through church splits. Why? Because of those kinds of things. That's kind of where the flesh wants to take us. The last two things that they're drunkenness and orgies, basically it's talking about what happens when you misuse something? What happens when you misuse alcohol? Well, you misuse alcohol, you get drunk. And where does drunkenness lead to? A lot of things that probably none of us would do when we were sober. But it goes there. And Paul says it goes on beyond. So Paul's saying, here's the pretty picture. It's not really pretty. That's where the flesh wants to take it. You remove the Holy Spirit. Where does it go? To a lot of things that honestly might in the moment seem fun. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25 says there's a passing pleasure of sin. But notice it's passing. It seems good in the moment. And then what are you left with? Zoom in real quickly on that last part of verse 21. When it says those words who do such a thing, we probably need to understand who do such a thing is Paul's talking about a habitual practice. Okay, He's talking about our lives. If that's the description of our lives, that's the issue. In essence, Paul's saying, hey, if that's what your life looks like, if that's a big part of your life, if the story of your life is 95% that... You maybe need to face up to something that you haven't trusted Christ. Because the Lord Jesus came and died and rose again to save you from that. One of the things I pray that we understand as a group of people that are a church is that Jesus Christ is calling us to live holy lives. Holy doesn't mean you walk around. When I was a kid and somebody said, oh, he wants us to live holy lives, I used to think that meant that we look like people who would suck lemons. I don't know where I got that from. I'm wearing a yellow shirt, so I've gotten over my fear of yellow things. But it's like being holy means you suck a lemon. No, it doesn't. And we're going to get to what does a holy life look like in just a second. But before we get there, I think we need to do sort of what I call an important implication kind of gut check. It is really, really easy in our culture to be impressed by Jesus. It's, it's a few years ago, but I think it was about 13 years ago, a movie came out. Mel Gibson did a movie called The, the Passion of the Christ. And, you know, a ton of people went to see the movie and it, it kind of, again, made Jesus popular in the culture again. And so you could buy t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. Well, that's not bad. It's just not 100% accurate. I mean, if Jesus is your homeboy, what does that mean? I'm not sure what that means. But what it does mean, folks, is if you and I are simply impressed by Jesus or we think Jesus is cool or we like the fact that, hey, he went into the, the temple and kicked out all those religious people, if that's our impression of Jesus, we probably need to be really careful 
Because salvation, the Bible tells us, the way we're set free isn't by thinking Jesus is cool. We're set free by repenting of our sin. Repenting of that stuff. Saying, I want to turn from that and I want to trust God and that means I'm looking to Jesus alone as my Savior. Let me ask you a question I think all of us should ask. We sang that song, Be Thou My Vision. Be this thing that I desire. So when you think of your life, when you kind of look in the mirror, so to speak, of your soul, what is it that you're desiring today? Are you desiring to look like the Lord Jesus? Are you desiring to live a holy life? Or are you desiring those things? Maybe not in all of it, but you want some of it. What is it that you desire? Because folks, I want to challenge you today. If that's what you're desiring, then we need to do some work before God in our souls. We can't go there and have the life God desires for us. That's not freedom. So what is it when you look at your desire, what do you want? Because notice this, go back to the verse 16 and 17. You don't do life alone. You don't find freedom alone. You have a choice. Are you going to do it the flesh way or are you going to do it God's way? There's not a third way between those. What are you desiring? What am I desiring? If you and I move away from the Holy Spirit, what we end up doing is heading towards flesh stuff. Well, you said God calls us, Jesus calls us to a holy life. What does a holy life look like? It looks a whole lot different than people sucking lemons. Look at verses 22 and 23. This is what God's calling us to. This is what the Holy Spirit is leading us to. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Go back to that question for a minute. Why is the Holy Spirit so important? Because the Holy Spirit can move in our lives. If we've trusted Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit can move in our lives so that all of a sudden the foundation of my life, the the aroma of my life, the outflow of my life becomes those things. I mean, how different would life be? What would it be like to be a person who can walk into a scenario and a situation and love other people? In an angry world, how different would it be for someone to walk in and be able to love? How different would it be if there were people who, no matter what was coming at them in life, had this sense of joy about them? Or what about when there's all kinds of pressure and stress when there seems like there's chaos, that there's somebody who just kind of oozes peace. Having lived in other parts of the country where traffic is really, really worse than here, 
I'm always amazed at how impatient people can get here. I'm like, oh wow, one light. Sucks to be you, buddy. But how different would it be? Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, if there was patience with our kids sometimes. Or teenagers, to be patient with old people like me. When I ask you, what does this mean? Our family does this thing with emojis, and inevitably I'm like, okay, everybody's laughing about it. What does this mean? (laughs) How many of us could use more kindness or more goodness? What would it do in our relationships if we were all faithful? And how many of us, how many of us wish we had more self-control? I'd probably have a better teeth if I had more self-control because I wouldn't be taking feet constantly in and out. What does God want us to lead? What does freedom look like? That. That is what God wants us to go to. Why is the Holy Spirit so important? Because the Holy Spirit can move in our lives so that we produce, in essence, we get to live a holy life, and a holy life, quite honestly, folks, is the most significant blessing we could give to anyone. Let me wrap this up. Actually, this is the first wrap-up. There's going to be a second wrap-up. You might want a duck mat. Thank you. First wrap up. How do we do this though? Okay, if the Holy Spirit offers us this life of holiness, and yet in contrast, what the flesh wants is a life that for the moment looks good, but yet brings disaster layers, how can we, with this clear and present danger, how do I not go to the flesh and how do I go to the Holy Spirit? Two habits I think these verses lead us to, we need to embrace. And I do use habits because this is, we keep doing this. Okay, so habit number one would be this reaffirm the reality of your conversion. Okay, you need to reaffirm the reality of your conversion. Now, I've used a lot of fancy big words today in one sense. Conversion is a fancy word that describes what, when you trust the Lord Jesus and you repent of your sin and trust Christ, that's you're converted, you're born again. You go from being dead to alive. That's a conversion. And I think Paul wants us to understand if we're going to experience the power, the freedom of the, being released from the power of sin, we need to keep going back to what started our relationship with Jesus, what set us free from the penalty of sin, and renew and remind ourselves of that. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul wants us to understand that when we repent of our sin and trust the Lord Jesus, what we're doing in the same instance is we're literally taking our flesh, we're putting our flesh on the cross, and we're driving nails into it. We're saying, I want to be done with the flesh. I'm severing my relationship with the flesh. Now, that's a pretty radical statement, but that's in part what we're really doing. We're saying, I'm done with that. Okay, when we define repentance, often we say repentance is turning from sin to God. 
Okay, I'm not just saying, well, I don't like sin anymore. No, I've got to get away from that. I want to turn to God. I affirm my relationship with God. I want to sever this with sin. I want to sever this with the flesh. Now, having said that, I want you to notice something. Paul said, we've crucified the flesh. He doesn't say the flesh is dead. Now, crucifixion is certain death. But it's slow death. So what that means is right now in your daily life, in my daily life, our flesh still is a clear and present danger. It still wants to move us toward things. It still wants to put pressure or in a sense kind of whisper in our ear sweet nothings to get us to go back there. Now, sometimes those sweet nothings are very subtle. Sometimes they're immediate in your face because here's the reality. A lot of our sin in our lives, we've developed habits and we just do that and so it's hard not to do that. That sin still, in one sense, still still has power on us because it wants to tap into that flesh. We want to listen to it. So what do you do when you start to feel a tug or when it's put right smack in your face? Paul, I think, is calling us to reaffirm our faith in Christ. Reaffirm that we crucified the flesh. Reaffirm that we said, I'm done with that. Now, folks, I'm not saying this is easy. These are not magic words. You know, I get up in the morning and I crucified my flesh. There, I'm good for the day. Okay, this is not an apple a day keeps the devil away kind of a thing. This is something we probably have to do repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. It's something we probably need to do with each other and sometimes we need to do for each other. We need to remind folks, hey, you crucified the flesh. You don't have to go there. But that's where it starts. We've got to reaffirm that. If we're going to live in freedom, we've got to realize, hey, I've severed that tie. I've cut that tug of war. It still wants to pull, but I've cut it. Second habit would be this. See, because I can't do this on my own, so it's not just saying no to the flesh. It is that. But I also then need to say habit number two is I need to head in the Holy Spirit's direction. Maybe instead of saying that, you'd say yes to the Holy Spirit. Okay, none of us can do this on our own. Verse 25, Paul says these words. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. First part of verse 25 is a very powerful affirmation. Okay, the Holy Spirit, where does life come from? If you're a follower of Christ, where does new life, where does eternal life come from? It comes from the Spirit of God being in our lives. Okay, by putting if in front of there, Paul in essence is saying, hey, if the Holy Spirit's the source of your life, then that really should impact everything you do, how you approach it, how you live, what you do. In essence, he's saying in verse 25, given who the Holy Spirit is, He is the source of your life, then what you need to do is you need to keep in step with Him. He is the one you stay glued to. He is the one you follow. He is the one you obey. The picture in verse 25 this idea of keeping step with the Spirit, that really literally is a military term. Okay? It's as if the Holy Spirit is the, the, the master sergeant or the drill sergeant telling you how to march. So when he says right, you go right. When he says left, you go left. 
The whole idea of this, we need to follow in the Holy Spirit's direction is we are listening to the Spirit of God and we follow Him. So how do we do that? Very practically, it starts in one sense as simple as this. We hear the Holy Spirit when we listen to the Bible. When we read the Bible, literally it's His voice that comes out. He's the one that inspired this. He's in essence the author that moved the human authors. We need to hear him. We need to hear his voice and follow him. Because, folks, that's the only way we get to freedom. We get to freedom in part by saying no to the sin, no to the flesh. But we're not going to move anywhere until we follow the Holy Spirit and do what he says. Okay, that was finish number one. This is finish number two. It's a lot quicker. Let me ask you a question. Why do we meet every week? Why do we talk about the cross and the resurrection? Why do we celebrate communion once a month? Why do we say the Bible really matters? Because God wants you to live in freedom. All that we are doing is because God is saying, I want you to be free. And for us to live in freedom, we have to trust Christ. We have to turn from sin to God and trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Have you done that? That's not meant to be a trick question. Have you done that? And if you have, then realize from that point forward what you and I need to do is we need to keep reaffirming the reality of that. And we need to follow the Holy Spirit. We need to head in his direction. Folks, if I could urge you today, embrace those last two habits and live and enjoy and experience the incredible freedom that Christ offers us right now in this moment, even when there is a clear and present danger. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful to you that you chose to reveal yourself in a way that we could start to get our heads around, that you gave us your word, and you did that for our benefit. You did that because you want us to know freedom, but your word was not going to be sufficient. Just having your word wasn't going to all of a sudden lead us to be free. We desperately needed your son to come and to die in our place for our sins and rise again. We need to trust you, Lord Jesus, as our Savior. We need your spirit in our lives to move us so that we truly would be free. Lord, I would pray and I would ask that we would understand this morning the thing you're putting in front of us. In essence, as we get ready to leave this place, what you're putting in front of us is you're calling us, you're inviting us, you're begging us be free. But we can only find that with you. So I pray today we would trust Christ. We'd reaffirm that. And we would heed the voice of the Spirit of God. We would follow you, Holy Spirit. And we would enjoy the incredible life of freedom an incredible life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, 
we enjoy those, be blessed by those. And not only would we be blessed, but then, Lord, that would be things and messages we can share and we can encourage other people to come to you too. Father, thank you for what you give us in Christ. May we embrace it. In the very precious name of Christ we pray.